0: This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. The massive cyber attack that made several very popular websites unreachable on Friday ended over the weekend, but not before affecting tens of millions of IP addresses. The denial of service attack against dynamic, Network Services, otherwise known as DIN or D-Y-N of Manchester, New Hampshire, affected companies like Twitter, PayPal, Netflix and others. One company suggested that webcams and DVRs were taken over in people's homes to help execute the attack. To take a look at what happened and how we uh, kind of mitigate this going forward, we're joined on the phone by Michael Greenberger, law professor at the University of Maryland, who's also founder and director of the Center for Homeland Security at the school. Also joining us, Diana Burley, executive director and chair at the Institute for Information Infrastructure Protection at George Washington University. Michael, Diana, great to have you both on the show.
1: Nice to be here.
0: Thank you. Good to be with you. Thank you. Diana, let, let's get into, for those people that, I've, they obviously a lot of people heard the story, but maybe they didn't totally uh, you know get into the, the guts of it. These These denial-of-service attacks are exactly what?
2: Well, I would say, think about it as if we were talking about a highway, and there was a lot of traffic that was trying to get on the highway, and so it grinds everything to a halt because there's just simply not enough room. So what happened is that the the malware sent signals saying there were lots and lots of of individual devices that wanted to have access to a particular site, and it overloaded the site so that no one was able to get access.
0: And as I said in the top, I think a lot of people are surprised that uh, a lot of this happened basically through this one company in New Hampshire and affected so many other uh, retail websites or company websites.
2: Yes. Well, that company is the foundation. And so if the foundational network gets overloaded, it cascades and and causes everyone else to have problems.
0: Outside of, of slowing everything down, what damage was actually done during this attack?
2: Well, they're still investigating, so we don't know that yet. Right now all we know is that there was access denials and people could not get uh, could not get their services. So right now the forensic examiners are doing their job and they're trying to make sure that they understand exactly what else was damaged and what, what uh, we need to, to worry about. And, next.
0: and I guess a lot of these companies are basically in the same mode as well. They're just trying to figure out what happened, how it happened, and try and uh, see if they can set something up in the future so it doesn't happen again. Exactly. Uh, Michael, in terms of the legal perspective of this, uh, what are the biggest concerns that you have with something seemingly so big? I mean, we've talked about breaches and and cyber attacks before, but even this seems a little bit new to, I think, a lot of people out there.
1: Well, uh, <clears throat> before I we talk about legal implications, the one uh, thing that I think is critically important is computer hygiene. Uh, what seems to have been the uh, the method of attack was taking over simple household devices that are composed of what are what is called the Internet of things. So many people buy you know uh, child monitoring services, webcams, di- digital recorders, and other devices and put them in their house and they're hooked up to the internet. Uh, many times they come with a default password uh, which is easily obtainable by hackers. Uh, and they don't make revisions to it to put a personal password in. And the hackers are then able to take over these devices and have these devices start sending the kinds of uh, IP uh, signals that Diana was talking about. So you may have a webcam or a child monitoring device and may not realize that it's hooked up to the Internet. And because you're not changing the password to it, uh... people can get uh... hackers can get access to it and they begin to take these things over and they become weapons as simple as they as they appear to be uh... the hygiene here i think really a lot of this goes back to the manufacturer of these devices uh... they have to uh... make it and, and it's not easy to do but have to make it clear to consumers uh... that the passwords need to be changed So that they're not not so easily captured by these hackers but it's something as simple as a webcam or a child monitoring device uh, uh, when multiplied across a large sector of the internet can be the weapon here and with regard to the legal thing the one uh, thing that I think is going to become very visible and affect policy here is there is beginning to develop a theory of uh, negligence, uh, what we call in the law tort law, where companies, for example, these providers of these devices, if they don't make it clear to the consumer that they need to change, the password can be held negligently liable for any Hmm. damage that's caused. Uh, And I think that is that the possibility of that liability on corporations is causing corporations to become much more conscious of their obligations uh... historically whenever you've had a computer problem people just say well that's an information technology problem and they let it go to the ip department but what we're seeing is more and more the so-called c-suite the chief executive officer chief operating officer chief financial officer are beginning to handle this problem so that it's dealt with corporate-wide and a lot of attention is paid to it. But the statistics show that only about 25% of companies really have in-house computer expertise to deal with these problems.
0: So this ends up being a, a, a an issue that it sounds like, from what you, you both have said, Michael, and I'll start with you, uh, that it, it it has the potential of continuing down the road as long as people don't address the the password issue, and and even addressing the password password issue may not be a total fail safe, but I, uh, but it I, certainly it certainly mitigates some of it.
1: Yes, the password issue may be the key, but there are a lot lots of other advice to to uh, companies coming out, like using multiple servers, et cetera which all need to be studied, um, you would ask another question. I, I uh, got lost in my train of thought on it.
0: Well, I mean, the fact that, that this is something that could continue. Oh, that,
1: that's a very good point. Not only could this continue, but the hacking group that's been identified as having perpetrated this uh, really used this to demonstrate how bad the situation could be. Uh, they've sort of portrayed themselves as sort of a Robin Hood of the Internet. That is to say, they did this, they're not going to do it again, or they're not going to do it again soon. And this is to show people how vulnerable we all are. Because don't forget, for example, if hospital systems are hooked up to the Internet, you can have life-saving devices uh, uh, go uh, inoperable or ele- electrical grids is another primary example. So yes, this pointed out that we have a very serious problem here, and this is not the end of the problem, it's the beginning of it.
0: Diana?
2: oh, He's absolutely right, and, and that's what the experts are saying, is that this was really a test run to let us know what is vulnerable, where the vulnerabilities lie, and so we have to begin to get serious, not just about cyber hygiene, which which certainly is a critical issue, but we also have to get serious about the way that we are putting products to market. Uh-huh. Right now, the focus on all of these IoT devices is, is speed to market, right? Getting them into the yeah. consumer's hands, and there's really not been a tremendous amount of focus on securing those devices. Actually, putting the secure coding into the devices to ensure that people are able to use them safely, and and we have to change that model and that emphasis.
0: I would think that that uh, Diana, a majority of people wouldn't even consider uh, the fact that if they, you know, bought a webcam in a store, that there's that there's a password concern on it, And, and. uh, you know that not only does the company have to really step it up, but people have to have that in, in the forethought of their uh, of their thinking as well.
2: That's right. Right now, we tend to focus on convenience. You know, consumers want to be able to do everything that they think that they should be able to do as quickly and as efficiently as they possibly can, and their their minds. Automatically go toward that speed and convenience, and they don't think about the underlying vulnerabilities that they are exposing themselves to when they use these devices. And so, we have to do a better job of educating the consumers because, really, consumer demand is what will drive product development. So, if the consumers are also demanding that these devices be secure and that they are able to use them safely, yeah. that will begin to push. Um, push these requirements into the product development cycle to ensure that they they are including security in the design.
0: Michael, as you kind of alluded to, with, with so many more houses having so many more devices in them, and the houses now that are being built, including some of these devices... Uh, th- this is this is an interesting kind of development as to how this is all going to play out over the next 30 to 40 years.
1: Well, it's really the next 30 to 40 weeks as far as right. I'm concerned. Yeah. Uh, you know, one of the things is a lot of the connection to the Internet with these devices, the cost-benefit analysis works out very badly for the consumer. That is, the bang you get for your buck uh, by adding this into an Internet-directed uh, device is uh, both to the consumer and to the country, or the, for that matter, the world. Yeah. It's just not worth it to be hooked up to the internet uh, in the uh, with these things. Now, I know, for example, I'm very focused on the upcoming election, in which we there's a lot of worry about hacking and
2: sure. uh, taking.
1: But the election, you know, elections are run by the states and localities, and it is a mantra of the election boards not to hook the voting up to the internet. Right. So I think uh we've got to think through and again as I said before, if there are liability issues here and you're turning over products which are in a sense weapons to consumers, the burden here really may be on the manufacturer than it more than it is on the consumer because we expect an awful lot from say a young couple who has their first child uh, being uh, sophisticated enough to worry about the password. The right. product itself has to be developed in a way that doesn't make it vulnerable.
0: What I guess interesting is also interesting, Diana, is that you know we think about this uh, topic uh, really in terms of, of here in the United States, but in reading up, I guess the UK was affected by this as well.
2: Absolutely. This is a global problem. Um, The Internet has no boundaries, and so we may think about it as a U.S.-centric problem, but it really is not, and and so we have to recognize that as we look to working towards solutions, whether those solutions are in the legal uh, realm, realm or if they are in the product development or product liability, whatever it is we're thinking about, we must think globally.
0: I guess in some respects, it has to be a little bit of both of those. You have to think about the product, but you have to think maybe regulatory as well, because it seems like even with new items being developed and brought onto the market, as you said, it's more about speed to the market than rather the quality and the security. Uh, you know the 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 hackers stay one step ahead of this process seemingly every day. So it has to be a little bit of both, don't you think?
1: Well, I think you raise an excellent point because uh, Congress uh, has been uh, handicapped. Uh, there are things that could be mandated in the manufacture of these products, uh, which uh, the Republican-controlled Congress, for philosophical reasons, has been very reluctant to do. Uh, you know, when we're talking about a crisis of this proportion, uh, national security is uh... uh... implicated right and the power of the government really is at its height but yet the government the federal government and, and many state governments are saying well here's the best practices for this kind of problem won't you please Im- uh, Im- embed this best practice in your product and eighty five percent of the infrastructure here is privately owned yeah. so it's uh... we're we're begging people do the right thing, and I think a lot more attention has to be paid uh, to mandating. For example, you know, you put a drug on the market, you don't plead with the drug manufacturer to do it safely, and I think we're in the same situation here.
0: Diana?
2: I would say that we also have to be very careful, though, to focus on the complexity of the software development process recognizing that when you're pulling different types of code, whether it's from open source um, areas or you're buying pieces of code from different vendors to make a single product, you have to think about where does the liability ultimately lie when individuals are making decisions all the way through those production processes. And so I, I think that there is a way forward, but we do have to recognize the complexity of the process and the fact that it's not um, always as simple as being able to identify who ought to be held responsible for different uh, different components, but but we have to get serious about it, and we have to pay. Close attention to that, so that we
0: can begin to move this forward. Well, and look, I mean, one of the a couple of the articles that I saw, I mean, talked about, uh, you know, the, the potential of using DVRs in your home to be able to use that as a conduit to to be able to uh, attack some of these companies. Uh, nobody, no consumer out there, unfortunately, is going to think N- I have to worry about my DVR, you know, because they don't think of it in the same way as a computer, Diana, and that ends up being. I don't know if that's a problem you can overcome.
2: Well, it's it's one that we have to begin, and we are beginning to address, and this is, goes back to what Michael was said at the very onset, which is about cyber hygiene. The reality is that we may not think about our DVRs or our automobiles or our cameras as computers, but they are, in fact, computers, and so we can't... Um, simply use them as we would an old-fashioned device that was not connected to the Internet. If it's connected to the Internet, we should think about it as a computer. And there are certain things that we as consumers have to do to responsibly operate those devices. No different than if we are in our car and we have a responsibility to to do certain things, to perform certain practices, to make sure that we operate those cars safely. The same applies here. And so it it really is not an either-or. It is an all of the above. Consumers have responsibility. Governments have responsibility. Product product, uh, makers have responsibility. And the only way that we will begin to get a handle on this threat is for all of us to perform uh, our responsibilities in the right way.
1: Michael? Well, yes, I I agree with everything uh, Diana has said. I will say this, uh, that uh, I am uh, skeptical about placing too much of the responsibility on the consumer. And I think the way the law will develop, even if Congress stands back, uh, there are going to end up being liability issues here. And in a class, Diana's exactly right. You've got all these contributors to the product. But, you know, in the law, we've had similar situations. And what happens is plaintiff lawyers representing individuals who've been damaged by a hack and a denial of service uh, are going to sue everybody. And uh, the sympathies are going to be if somebody's heart-lung machine is uh, stopped because of a denial of service attack, uh, the sympathies of juries and judges is going to be with the person who's been injured. And they will uh, look through the legal forensic system for who's been responsible.
0: The the problem, and Michael, and and it's kind of been a common theme that we've had on this show for for at least a year now, involves something you were just bringing up a second ago, is that this is something that that Washington, D.C., probably needs to address now, obviously uh, right now, in terms of uh, instead of later. And you may not have, unfortunately, the mindset in Washington D.C. to realize that this is this is a big problem right now.
1: Well, there's a mindset, but there's a refusal of courage in developing policy, because any time—and I sympathize with this—but you know there comes time when you cross the divide between asking people to do the right thing and telling people to do the right thing. Uh, you know, there are manufacturing practices. I know when you, when people who are in business hear that kind of thing, they, you know, they're not happy to hear it. Yeah. But, but there will eventually. We're going to have something happen that'll be equivalent to the 9-11 attacks, and the mandates huh. are going to start coming.
0: Diana, one of the articles that I read over the weekend talked about the fact that the the affected companies in in this uh, attack, you know, the Twitters, the Paypals, the Netflixes, probably were losing a hundred million dollars in a day on on revenue. Where this is concerned, uh, if that's something that doesn't get a lot of people's attention, then I don't know what will.
2: Well, I think that certainly revenue losses get attention, and as Michael said, when we start to think about um, the impact on denial of service on medical devices or things that actually can produce uh, loss of life, we will start to see even more people paying attention. So it it really does become one of those events where we look at uh, you don't want a catastrophic event, but the way that you get attention is through catastrophic events.
0: For For the consumers though out there, is it as simple as just having them more aware and thinking about this for all the the different devices and not just their smartphones and not just their computers, but let's say if they have a nest device in their home to control the the thermostat, you know, or, or a variety of other uh, devices that are seemingly popping up in the home nowadays.
2: Well, that's one way. I mean, certainly consumers have a responsibility, and and so the very first thing that they can do is to change those default passwords. That's a very easy way of reducing your level of vulnerability. Um, But consumers also can push uh, Congress and can push policymakers to do the things that Michael is suggesting they do. And so as consumers, you can then begin to put pressure on those who can make policy changes to ensure that that uh, the changes are made in the development system, changes are made in the in the educational system. In order for people to program secure devices, they have to learn how to program securely. And so we need to have secure coding in our computer science programs, for example. Yeah. So, so all of the all of these different mechanisms to move this ball forward need to be used.
0: It's been touched on a few times, and you just bring it right there, that the education angle to this, Diana, ends up being very important so that our our kids are conditioned and they're thinking about it as potential careers to be able to tackle these types of things.
2: Absolutely, and I spend a tremendous amount of my time focusing on trying to develop the cybersecurity workforce and thinking very critically about... How do we get our young people aware and engaged and involved in cybersecurity careers and understanding the tremendous need, understanding that the work that they would be doing is, in fact, national security work, yeah. uh, and, and making sure that they're joining our forces to help secure these systems that are so critical for every aspect of our lives. And,
0: and Michael, that's the, maybe the greatest change that we've seen probably in our security uh, system in the, in the last 10 to 15 15- years years is that realization by segments of the government that this ends up being as important as anything right now right up there with with uh, you know I hate to use this use it this way but good old regular fashion terrorism this is right up there as well
1: Oh absolutely and you know in my way of thinking I think we have two really mammoth uh, world-shaking crises Uh, Global warming is one of them that's going to eventually affect the entire world in a very negative way if we don't get on top of it. But in the short term, these uh, hacks and the denial of service, uh, I think, is a very, very serious problem. The silver lining in all this, and it certainly isn't going to be the saving grace, is that I think there will be a lot of realization on the part of consumers that, for example, the child monitoring device is something more than a child monitoring device, and people, if they've kept their instructions, will go back and look at them. I know that one large Chinese company that sells a lot of these Internet of Things devices to the United States is uh, recalling them to get the uh, password uh, protection improved, and we're going to see a lot of that. So, uh, you know, I think as Diana said, we all get excited about the operation of these devices and what they add, and now we're beginning to see that these can be weapons used against us, and hopefully it will make all of us more aware, not only from using our own devices, but from looking, looking, and I should say demanding, uh, Congress and others get on top of this and make sure that devices, as they're developed, as we make sure that drugs are safe and effective, that these devices are safe and effective.
0: Well, Diana, wrapping up with this, is that, I mean, from the perspective of the, the companies that were kind of involved in this, obviously, they're still trying to gain a lot of information. But what should their approach be with this type of, of incident happening? And, and obviously, as you said, this kind of, you know, showed some of the cracks in the, in the foundation right here. Uh, I would think that, that people that are involved with these companies would be pressing it to their C-suite. They would be trying to press it to people outside the company. How important this is that, that needs to be approached from the corporate
2: perspective? Absolutely. We have to get this message across to the CEOs, to the chief financial officers, all of those decision makers. Because really when it comes down to it, we're not talking about security so much as we're talking about risk. This is really a problem of managing risk. And we will never be 100% secure, but we can do things to help us to change that risk portfolio to make sure that we are managing risk in a responsible way. So these companies need to, to make those decisions. They need to communicate with consumers and with the public to make sure that we are aware of what's happening and that we can reduce our exposure. And, and again, we all have to work together in order to, to make ourselves um, more secure.
0: Michael, Diana, thank you very much, both of you, for giving us your time today. I greatly appreciate it. You're
2: welcome. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Michael Greenberger from the University of Maryland, Diana Burley from George Washington University. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.